Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Today I'm starting something a little different in partnership with my new sponsor. Welcome to Dividing Lines, a series of special programs from The Near Futurist, where we will be bringing together respected innovators and thinkers to examine some of the most consequential debates in technology and society today. Dividing Lines is powered by Diffusion, an award-winning international PR agency on a mission to help tech innovators to take on the status quo and transform the future faster. Or in case anybody's interested, they are not asking me to include any of their clients. Uh, They're leaving this fully independent. I'm very grateful for that. Vaccine hesitancy. The results of the US election, the harmfulness or otherwise of 5G. These are all areas in which different areas of the internet will give you radically different pictures. You don't need to take sides to understand that someone somewhere is pumping out misinformation about a lot of subjects. And coping with that misinformation is what we're here to discuss. Today, we have two guests. First, the founder and chief executive of CheckStep. He was previously Facebook's AI integrity manager and founder of Bloomsbury AI, which was successfully exited to Facebook in 2018. CheckStep uses AI technology to provide trust and safety solutions for social media platforms. His name is Guillaume Bouchard. Also a returning guest, CEO and founder of Lightful, who came on the show before to discuss the hesitancy some people have about COVID-19 vaccines. His overall methods include attacking misinformation at grassroots level, which is as much about the people as anything. He is Vinay Naya. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. Uh, Guillaume, perhaps we can start with you. A lot of people might argue that the algorithms have created echo chambers of like-minded people. They lead to polarization and extremes. Now, one of the things you offer is, as I understand it, to throw more algorithms at the problem. Is that really a good idea? Throwing algorithms, never a good idea. But uh, we, we understand that algorithms just give better ability for people to deal with a lot of repetitive tasks and to just be more efficient because you need to be quite skilled to understand what is the truth and to understand the context of the information that you receive. So we, we have uh, multiple evidence that on, on some tasks, uh, algorithms are nearly as good as human in terms of uh, accuracy. And why not using them? It makes you know experts or people who uh, understand the truth much more efficient, but uh, also there is an urgent societal uh, crisis to solve here. Uh, Vinay, I don't imagine we're going to be at polar opposites uh, in this debate. My understanding is that you're a little bit more on the people side than fighting algorithms with algorithms. Can you tell us exactly where you stand on this, please? Yeah, certainly. And it's lovely to be back, uh, Guy, um, on the podcast again. You're right that we're not at polar opposites. I think what Guillaume says is very resonant. I think the power of algorithms intervening to understand, identify, tackle misinformation is very powerful indeed. I guess my perspective is that we need to look at it from where people are getting that misinformation and how can we actually authentically increase trust. And ultimately, as you say, it does come down to people. I do come down on that people side. And my sense is that we kind of need to do a pincer movement here. We need to have the algorithms, looking at the algorithms to understand and identify the misinformation. My view is, however, we also need to get trusted champions in communities, people who are trusted, I mean, maybe a faith leader, 
maybe a youth leader, maybe somebody who's active in their own community in real life, to be able to have the skills and the tools and the ability to tackle digital misinformation so that they can understand what is real, amplify that, but also intervene when misinformation exists. So my sense is that it, it is a little bit of both, but I definitely land a bit more on the people side. Uh, Guillaume, do you have a perspective on that? Yeah, of course, it, it's important to say that this type of, uh, of programs, they don't solve really the, the problem of, of misinformation. Uh, the real problem is you know, pol polarization and it's intrinsic to social media. The, the, the real thing is that it enables human community who have a voice, who do not have a voice today, to have a voice because it's a powerful tool that the people on the side of uh, propagating fake news are using. They are using uh, our uh, human biases. And these algorithms, it's a way to counteract this, this huge uh, pandemic of, of dis disinformation. That's interesting. There are areas, certainly, where it's possible to have a strong view either way. We Obviously, over the last few years in the UK, we had the Brexit debate where at least one view or the other was possible. But there is genuine misinformation, whether it's about vaccine scares or even who won the US election or whatever it is. There is genuine misinformation out there. Where do you think it's coming from? Are we talking about malicious individuals or state actors? I'm, do, you, do either of you have any perspective in who's pushing this stuff out there? Yeah, so maybe I can start. So the first thing is that there are, uh, of course, the, the natural tendency of people to believe conspiracies. And sometimes it's naive, but here we are, we are thinking about uh, external foreign, uh, often foreign uh, organization, uh, such as we often hear about Russia, but there are probably a lot of uh, other countries uh, weaponizing information. And that's a real issue here. It needs to be to be dealt with care and uh, using extremely sophisticated uh, techniques where sometimes uh, genuine people are believing fake uh, manipulated or just fake information. That's um, And so the key point here is who do we trust and what are the organizations that we believe are more reliable than another? That makes sense. Vinay, any perspective on that? Yeah, I, I think that's very sound from Guillaume. And I guess there is an aspect from the way we approach it, you know, you know, how do we use technology as, as a force for good to recognize that there are those doing the exact opposite. And I think the Center for Countering Digital Hate has done some very powerful work analyzing, you know, we talked a little bit there about the state and some states, but also looking at where sometimes, you know, a dozen people can be driving hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of uh, shares of misinformation generating tens of millions of dollars. So that's my sense, Guy, that we kind of need this pincer movement that we need to understand where the source of some of this is. But then a bit as Guillaume says, there is the human aspect of why people are believing this misinformation in the first place. And my sense is that by helping to have champions who can counter that information and amplify the real, uh, the truth. You know, you talked about vaccines. You also talked about the US election, you know. There's fake news has sort of been used as this moniker to sometimes articulate what you disagree with rather than what isn't true. Um, rather than, as you said, Brexit, where you might've had a different perspective on what you felt was right for the country. Some other aspects, it may be a lot more clear cut. So I do get the sense that 
you know, that combination of state, corporate and individual actors are there. We need to go after the source. But for as long as that information is out there, we need to be very, very honest, real and proactive now in tackling it. I'm just wondering, uh, Vina, your grassroots approach must be something that everyone can take part in. I mean, what should someone do if they see what they believe to be misinformation or indeed extreme views uh, online? Only last week in the UK, we we came second in um, the uh, the Euro football tournament, and I refuse to say anything other than came second. But the racial backlash against uh, three of the players who, uh, well, I, re- I resist the word, missed their penalties. Two of them, it was scored by the goalie. He did his job. Uh, let's not start ranting about that. But... Uh, the, the backlash was just horrific. It may well have been a minority thing. What should people do if they see either misinformation or any uh, hate speech like that that are pushing us towards these polar opposites? I think it's a great question, Guy, and, and I think you're right to highlight the bravery of the three penalty takers who you mentioned uh, as well uh, in, the, in the final. Look, I think the grassroots approach needs a couple of different aspects to it. I've spoken a little bit already about how champions need to be able to be recognized that they are trusted voices and what they need to do to be able to make sure their perspective is what dominates and what directly counters misinformation or falsehoods in WhatsApp groups or on social media and so on. Um, If other members of the community or or anybody, frankly, on social is seeing some of that misinformation, I guess there are different aspects to understand what is that information? How is it making them feel? Sometimes, frankly, is there even a monetary aspect sort of they're being pushed down? a path of checking links, checking for veracity of quotes, checking timestamps of when that information is. You know, sometimes, I mean, guide these can even be satire that you're not even quite sure if it's real or not. And so I think being able to dispassionately look at that information should people come across it, be able to therefore try and, again, speak to people who they trust to see maybe sense check of the veracity of it. But I I guess, importantly, it's not to amplify it and share it further. I mean it in a very small, discreet and specific way. One of the, I think, most challenging things we f- I find on social media is then when people do see it, you know, whether it's a quote, tweet or a share of that misinformation, actually, that's something that can uh, spread it further, which I would strongly encourage people not to. Not to. You're exactly right. You can amplify things if you're not careful. Um, um, you know, I just want... Yeah, I was going to ask you how, how a company like Checkstep can uh, offer help in fighting against this, these prejudices, these, this misinformation. Can individuals get involved in that level? So there is this word, uh, moderation. Uh, moderation also means the excess is not good. So people being able to express themselves, it's okay, but it's not okay when it's the flow of bad information. So it could be a racist comment, but you have to realize that this recent event about the racist remarks post the Euro Cup and even yesterday or the day before about Hamilton behavior, so these racist remarks are different from misinformation in the sense that they are not necessarily viral. It's just a global you know, raise of the racism because it's easy to uh, have strong remarks and they are highlighted by, by the media and by all your friends are t- tend to be more attracted by extreme uh, proposals. But it's not necessarily viral as misinformation. So, But in both cases, it's important to have this word in mind, which is moderation. So we, moderation means a system. We start with humans who basically take a side and say, this goes too far. It's not, we don't want to see it on our platform. And then algorithm, 
such as CheckFed that provides basically the infrastructure to develop algorithms that can highlight both hate and misinformation, they can help humans to catch more and to basically moderate more and to regain a little bit uh, the control uh, on the content, on, on the conversation that today is lost because a few bad actors are getting all the attention. That's interesting. It also highlights the element of cultural change. I think you touched on before. People seem more comfortable than they used to be taking extreme points of view in that they feel that they're right or they're wrong. I just wonder whether electronic communication, a lot of it unmoderated, has consolidated that. And can we actually get the older start of perhaps more civilised and moderate debate back? <laughs> I guess we can't go back to the history. So internet is there to stay. But what we have to mention is that reporting so users themselves, especially since uh, last year, uh, George Floyd murder, there has been a lot of uh, increase in the people reporting. You know, when you see a hateful comment, you can right click and say report to the moderator. This type of behavior increased massively last year. So I think there is also a notion of citizenship on Internet that uh, make people more aware and more ready to, to, to report, which uh, enables everyone. But obviously, it's not, not enough today. Yeah, I, I really welcome what you say, Guillaume, and totally agree. I think it's the ability to actually see that where the internet is here to stay. I think social media and electronic communication, as you're saying, Guy, gives the opportunity for voice, potentially, in a very positive way, but also allows the amplification of that negativity and indeed that hate. And I think the ability for individuals to actually, I think the example of George Floyd is a very powerful one, being able to report, being able to engage with the main social media, social networks and social media players, I think allows us to start mitigating some of the, the fact that electronic communication does make it more equitable and give everybody a chance, but actually, as Guillaume outlined, some things have to, a line does have to still be drawn regardless. We've spoken a lot about uh, deliberate misinformation so far. There's another sort, of course, there's genuine mistakes and misunderstandings. I'm just wondering whether there are ways in which organisations like yours can help fight that sort of error. I know a number of people who are quite nervous of 5G masks, for example. They're not deliberately spreading doubt. Their wish for better information is uh, sincere. The large majority of what we call uh, misinformation, some, some people call it the narrow cast misinformation, meaning a lot of people are spreading doubts. Um, often it's because of the source of news that they are hearing or uh, their social, direct social network. Um, I think digital literacy can help in making people more aware or looking at the context, uh, as Vinay mentioned earlier, giving more or the opposite view or maybe complementary information for people to, to be able to, to reduce this uh, basically genuine mistake, which is uh, probably the large majority of what we can see online. I, I think I, I agree with that, Guillaume. And my sense to your earlier question, Guy, around landing more on the people side, I do think actually what's called the Socratic method, where you ask questions to genuinely start peeling back where the source of concern is, is an important way to help understand what are often valid concerns. You know, I last spoke on your podcast on, on vaccine hesitancy. My sincere view is that though there is definitely malicious misinformation that exists, a lot of hesitancy comes from 
fear and concern that comes from a very genuine place. And so a sense of people being listened to, people being engaged with, and then getting their information where they perhaps don't trust, you know, politicians at the center, or even in some cases, mainstream healthcare professionals, understanding where the trust exists is the way of tackling some of that genuine misunderstanding or concern. I think that's right. As I think I mentioned to you last time we spoke, I have a family member who's involved in reassuring people about their vaccine hesitancy thing. And some of the community leaders she speaks to have said to her that you're a council officer who's going to be gone in five years' time, whereas they'll still be in place. And as vaccines have been around for less than a year, we objectively, we can't know what the effect will be longer term. We can only say what's likely. It may be mistaken, it may be an unscientific view, but it's not hysteria and it's not an unreasonable question to raise. It's a perfectly valid question to raise. I think you can't, you know, you, you did mention your family member previously, and I think the ability for them to articulate what has been done in a general sense when it has come to allowing certain medicines, vaccinations, even prior to the COVID pandemic, of what is done, how trials are conducted, the fact that they were conducted with ethnic minority groups, for example, in a safe, transparent, efficacious way, which is not what occurred in the past, outlining what's happened with different people when they're childbearing age, when they have other concerns. Some countries, of course, had concerns, for example, with the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, which the information, the power of the internet flowed back into the UK, um, for instance. And so I think it is about being understanding around what the concerns are, but if you can engage and explain the importance of the counterpoints, recognize where the limitations are, and also then explain in the event, for example, of not taking a vaccine, what the risks are to short-term and long-term health. It's not an unreasonable concern and needs to be uh, met in an authentic way with people who genuinely are respected enough for their perspective to be listened to. I think there is also an, an element which is very important for society as a whole, is allowing people to have doubt. It's very important to doubt, you know, it's a sign of intelligence. But today, it seems that with this vaccine debate, we have to be for it or against it. But it's not that. It's the facts that are around the vaccine, like what is the proportion of people who have had blood clot, for example. That They are facts. We often do not really rely on facts, but on, you know, the human biases. Like we, we tend to doubt this country developing this vaccine, for example. And it's very hard to capture, but allowing doubt, it's the most important thing for society. So I don't want to be pro, you know, anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine. I want both sides to express their view. But what is important is, where does it come from? Have you been manipulated in believing this or this fact? And just to, uh, to, to, to finish on it, you know, the vaccine, the development took only a year. Um, some of the vaccines were based on new technologies. It's normal to have doubt. Vaccine is, again, something that requires trust and faith in science, and it's not that trivial. There are cases in the past of, uh, that led to failures, even deaths of people, and even governments hiding it. It, it clearly not, did not help. So I, I think there should, there should still be a debate, and we should not stop people from expressing doubts in general. I agree with you, Guillaume. I think one of the interesting parts of what you said is around the both sides of it and how that interplays with your view of moderation. And that's where this gets complicated and intense. So, you know, I think you framed it in a very 
powerful way in that people should absolutely be allowed to express debts. I very much agree with you. And they should be met where they are. And, and as I said, using a kind of a questioning Socratic method, understanding why their concerns are. And you framed it in a facts versus facts way and letting people come up with it. I think that's reasonable. But we're seeing more and more happen. For example, a lot of work happening in the philanthropy and tech for good space around the neutrality paradox. Is it right to be remain neutral? We gave the example around racism and, and moderation. And in some cases, you can't both sides the debate and you have to make a call. I think that's part of the challenge of where we need to see the top-down aspect meet the bottom-up aspect to allow debate and doubt to exist because that stretches the intellect and it's perfectly valid. Uh, and frankly, as you say, very, very important, crucial to do that. that societally, we shouldn't take what the government says at face value or what companies say or, or even celebrities or whatever it is at, at face value. But also we need to be able to understand where sometimes a fact is very different to a view uh, and allow space for that differential to occur as well. Thank you both very much indeed. We are now coming to the end of our time. So I think just drawing it together, much as I'd anticipated, there was a lot more in common than there was uh, differences <laughs> between you. But I think uh, basically it's, you know, let's try and keep debates fact-based and let's check our facts um, that uh, both the people-based stuff and of course the algorithms are useful tools in achieving that. And it's a question of balance between the two. And above all, when someone disagrees with you, don't necessarily treat them like an idiot. That's pretty important. So if I could just round off by asking where people can find out more about yourselves and your organisations. So Vinay, where can people connect with you? Thanks uh, again, Guy. And really, like you say, speaking with Guillaume and learning more about Checkstep has been has been great. And I think the powerful thing, of even though we had slightly different perspective, there's a lot of common ground for us more broadly to build on. So, so thanks again. Yeah, please, we would love people to check out our website, www.lightful.com. I'm still old school and say the Ws. Um, and follow us on social at Lightful across the various uh, platforms as well. And do drop us a line and let us know. And you? And for us, uh, no need of the W, it's just checkstep.com. And uh, yeah, it, it was really great to, to, to speak to uh, about this debate, but uh, the safety tech is a new domain in which we operate. And we are really delighted to see so much, uh, so much traction, so much uh, platform open to outsourcing. It's a little bit like cybersecurity 10 years ago. Uh, it was used to be internal to companies and now companies open up and accept to look at what is the best safety tech solution out there this is probably a tipping point. 2021 is a tipping point, is a history of, uh, of content moderation uh, with the rise of all this regulation. Uh, last, last month it was Australia, but we heard about uh, India. And this year it's uh, UK, EU, and maybe in the US uh, reform of 230 will come also this year. So in the history books, we'll probably see as 2021 at the end of the wild, wild web. Well, we'll see about that. Maybe I'll invite you both back to discuss that again uh, this time next year when the history books have been written. Uh, Vina Nair of Lightful and Guillaume Bouchard of Checkstep, thank you very much for joining me. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton, and my guest in this first in the series of Dividing Lines, sponsored by Diffusion PR. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. I'm not doing the www's either. Or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time.